0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and so much more. We also have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine, and we are going to be putting out the June issue, ooh, probably in about a week's time. We're just finishing up a couple things, there's a couple of... uh, time-sensitive things. We're looking to uh, get in there and get this all taken care of. And, of course, you can catch us at Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of uh, newspapers in 21 different markets that we uh, do game reviews in. We're on Sci-Fi Radio, Open Critics, Syndicated, and you can also catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM. So, we have Justin and Michael, as always, and we're going to be doing a little bit of a rundown of of, uh, some of the bigger news stories uh, of the week as we go. Now, naturally, remember when we record this, and when you hear this, are not always the same. Sometimes we're able to record later in the week, but generally we record earlier in the week just to accommodate everybody's schedules, and so sometimes when you hear things... Uh, the news could be a few days old, so that's why we try to do a deeper dive into them. And when we do the recording, it is the most uh, up-to-date and accurate news that we have. So let's start off and uh, bring everyone up to date on the ongoing labor dispute regarding uh, the Hollywood studio system. So the Directors Guild uh, did vote to accept the agreement that their negotiators had reached, so they have a three-year deal in place. And SAG-AFTRA, which are the actors and actresses, are currently negotiating. Their deal ends on June 30th, and as we all know, the writers have been on strike going on 50 days now. Uh, the other day, the Fran uh, rusher the head of the union, as well as their chief negotiator, posted a message essentially saying things are going very well and that they are... Uh, you know, working away on the deal and, you know, paraphrasing that they are pleased with the conversations that have been happening. So hopefully uh, by the time this airs, if not uh, sooner, a deal will be reached because this has larger uh, implications. Essentially, it would allow the negotiators to then focus on getting the writers back in place. It would free up the actors to be able to not only resume uh, and continue projects that have been either stalled or are in, you know, kind of limbo waiting to see what happens with the labor. But you would also have things like San Diego Comic-Con and other events uh, down the line, New York Comic-Con, so on and so forth, where they'd be able to come without any uh, potential conflicts and stuff. Now, we've had reports of one uh, unexpected uh, casualty from the situation now it's not directly related to the strike it is related to the ongoing money saving uh but despite word of a second season uh, renewal that's almost ready uh paramount plus has announced that greece rise of the pink lady the animated spin-off star trek prodigy along with the competition series queen of the universe and the game are being pulled from the service as early as next week. Now, uh, the other is not so much a shock, but the Star Trek Prodigy has been a big surprise because, number one, Paramount Plus is kind of listed as the home of all things Star Trek. The show did receive a second season order. They've almost completed the second season, and now the show is being shopped to other networks. So essentially now we have the floodgates being open for Star Trek to once again be leaving one home and being at multiple places, because whoever picks this up is going to get Season 1, Season 2, and any future seasons, and possibly spin-offs. So, uh, we will start with Justin. What do you make of this?
1: Yeah, this is uh, very interesting. Um, kind of troubling for Star Trek fans, or, you know, I guess it would indicate to me that there's something... Kind of uh, going on with Paramount, just because Paramount Plus was supposed to be basically the the hub for all uh, Star Trek content, and that was the the main driving force for people getting uh, into Paramount Plus as a subscription, because that was where you, if you were a Star Trek fan, that's where you would have to go um, to get your Star Trek content. So if it gets shopped to a different platform, to me, that's kind of a a negative sign as to the future of, of the Paramount platform. Now obviously I think the other Star Trek shows have been barely successful but this does set a precedent that if they're willing to put one of their um, their shows on a different platform, then uh, it does mean that uh, maybe they've like, lost faith in um, in their plat in their own platform. Uh, not to say that all of this other Star Trek shows will end up on other platforms or if even that's even a bad thing, but uh, it is very interesting, an interesting move, um, especially because uh, I think as you mentioned, it was pretty much from from everything that had been uh, said, the second season was pretty much done. So um, very very interesting move, um, but it also kind of goes in line with other movement in the industry in general. Especially in regards to a lot of the shows, kind of tightening down, a lot of the studios, uh, you know, canceling or, or scaling down a lot of their projects as uh, you know
0: costs are, are going up. Oh, definitely, Michael, your take, please.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting It's Prodigy, and again, it wasn't one that I watched, and honestly, wasn't one that I had really remembered. Uh, but it did have a ninety-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes um, with a seventy-six percent audience score, so obviously it was well received. But this kind of goes in line with what Disney Plus has done as well, where they're pulling shows from their network that are actually owned IPs. So I think there has to be, there's probably more to the story than they're letting on. Uh, again, we kind of talked about obviously not having the, the money to fund a new season. I understand that, uh, particularly if it's not something that's drawing, you know, again, it can draw critics, and it can draw audience score, but if it's not drawing people to the platform or money platform, and that's something else entirely. Uh, But it also makes you kind of wonder how this ties into what's going on with the writer's strike uh, and and potentially concerns around um, maybe voice acting, maybe just um, something else that we're not really completely aware of. Uh, Again, it makes sense uh, to not greenlight something that doesn't do well financially, but it's something else when you're talking about pulling things from a platform where they own the IP um, again, Disney plus was, did this with Willow, which I know was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing as well. And then announcing with Star Trek prodigy, uh, again, shopping around for somebody to pick up season two because they're not going to fund it. That's fine. It makes sense. Uh, particularly if, if uh, Paramount's not going to, um, put the bill for it for something that's obviously got some, um, critical praise behind it, but, but again, not funding the season two and yet pulling. Something that you have released on the platform, uh, I think there's more to cost savings other than just space. Because again, um, they're not paying rights um, to own that IP because they already own that IP. So the question is, what money are they saving by pulling existing content? And I think there's more to that. We're going to learn more about that as the time goes by.
0: It is extremely odd because, you know, we. They may have started off as the home of Star Trek, but they have a pretty impressive lineup. They also have a very low uh, entry cost for it. You can get, uh, like Peacock, you can get in for 5 bucks a month. And, you know, they have everything from iCarly, okay, it's not my crowd, but there it is. They have the 1883 and 1923 Yellowstone, uh, spin-offs. Now, yes, they are in limbo because of the writer's strike, but they have been big successes. They've got Stallone's uh, Tulsa King, which has been a fantastic show, and the new season's coming. They've got Joe Pickett, and they also offer tons of movies. I mean, just to give you an idea, Dungeons & Dragons, Top Gun Mavericks, Scream 6, um, you know, recent things like this, and they have a whole range of uh, children's Shows, but the interesting thing is that, uh, oh, Beavis and Butthead, let's not forget that, they're tied in with CBS. So for cord cutters, this is a huge thing because they can watch uh, a lot of the CBS shows on this the next day. And when Magnum PI, which was another example of a top rated show that mysteriously went poof, um, you know, there you have it. Now I know they're not renewing it beyond the next 10 episodes. Uh, of the new season, but you know that was kind of as it went in. They said we're going to do two more seasons, 20 episodes. So they, NBC recently announced the next 10 episodes are going to be it. Okay, fine, but you know it it was a shock because it's still a very well rated thing. The big thing too is they have football. So come the fall, you can turn on your Paramount Plus, and if you don't have cable or you don't have uh, whatever, you can watch Sunday CBS games and the other content, boom, right on the service. So that, you know, as well as the -the over-the-air content. So that is a bit of a surprise. Essentially, you're getting the CBS, BET, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, MTV, the Smithsonian Channel, and all their originals. So it's not like they're hurting for content. And to announce a show, particularly like you said, one of their flagship shows. And I'm just wondering if it was a case of, okay, Discovery's ending. Maybe they consider that the weak link in their Star Trek portfolio. They've talked about doing some original Star Trek movies for the show. We know that uh, Strange New World has already been given a third season order. We've heard rumors about this Star Trek Legacy series. And maybe someone crunched the numbers and basically said, you know what? We can make more money farming this out and letting someone else pay us the royalties and the licensing rights and getting a share of that revenue and use that to fund one of the new projects versus this. Like you said, they don't do these things without money being involved, but it was really odd. I mean, this would be, um, you know, I, I kind of look at it as if they would have come out and said, okay, we're getting rid of Strange New World and we're going to stick it on Netflix or Prime Video or something like that, okay, maybe you get got a real scandal, but this is, you know, essentially a youth-aimed Star Trek. The biggest surprise was, essentially, they're letting someone else get the hands on their project, but remember, they had an extremely lucrative deal with Netflix uh, running the old series before they retained them, so maybe they crunched the numbers and said, you know what, we actually made more money letting someone else have our IP than it holding it in place, so who knows? Moving on to other topics, the uh, interesting thing we wanted to mention for anybody who's seen Hawkeye, uh, the series on Disney+, Plus, is that there is a very humorous reference to Rogers the Musical, a Broadway production depicting the first Avengers film. Well, it's become so popular, it's taken on a life of its own, and as part of the Disney 100 celebration... The Disneyland Resort is going to be presenting Rogers the Musical. It's an all-new one-act musical theater production. It will be at the Hyperion Theater in Disney's California Adventure Park from June 30th through August 31st. It'll be roughly 30 minutes long, and it will feature uh, singers, dancers, telling the story of Steve Rogers, joined by Peggy Carter, Nick Nick Fury, and select members of the Avengers. So I'm going to be there uh, July 3rd is our date at California Adventure so I'm hoping we can get in there I'm hoping the granddaughter isn't going to fuss too much and if she does maybe she'll cross the street with my wife and her dad and go watch the uh, 4D Mickey Donald Duck thing we took her to and I can pop over and see it but I also realize everybody is probably going to be trying to get into that thing so I don't know how they're going to handle it but we'll find out it'll be interesting and there's also a range of uh, Captain America themed foods and drinks that is going to be available. So Disneyland's got a lot of stuff going on right now. They are getting ready for um, Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny. Uh, Mike will be doing a preview in the upcoming magazine about the Halloween plans that are coming up. And we already have information about the Oogie Boogie Bash or Oogie Boogie Bash, I should say. And just lots of fun stuff coming up. I'm very curious to see uh, some of the new things. I have not seen Galaxy's Edge yet, so I'll be doing that. I understand there's a new edition of the World of Color. There's a, a Magic Happens parade that I haven't seen, and we're very anxious to take our granddaughter on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. She loves Minnie Mouse, uh, likes trains. I have never been on the new thing, so I'll be trying that. So hopefully, hopefully that will be uh, something to keep an eye out for. All right, Justin, so we've got some news that Atari's been very, very busy. They have been cranking out all kinds of new games with their Recharged series. And just today, we got news that Atari is going to be doing Quantum Recharged, as well as a brand-new version of their classic game, Haunted House. A few uh, days prior to that, we got news that uh, the... Game Mister Run and Jump is going to be getting a Atari 2600 cartridge version, and of course, as I mentioned last week, I've been busy playing uh, Pixel Ripped 1978 on the PSVR 2. Which, uh, digressing a little bit here, a little weird to play an Atari game on a PlayStation. Uh, in that this game is very retro, there's a segment where I'm in an office and I'm playing a game on the Atari 2600, but yet I'm playing it on a PS5 with a PSVR 2. So my wife was having a field day going, you're playing a game of you playing a game, and yet they're bringing you coffee and donuts that you can eat and drink, and I like to pick up the coffee mug and throw it at passing people just to be uh, difficult. So uh, what do you make of all the stuff that Atari's got going on?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. You know, I I am a big proponent of if if you've got the uh the old um retro catalog, um it, I think it's a good thing to keep keep those uh those titles alive. Uh, so I'm I'm a big fan of this. I mean, Atari was a little bit before before I me mean, that Nintendo was my first console, but uh, um you know that this does give younger people a chance to experience uh some some of these games that maybe they've never experienced before. So. I think it's a cool thing uh, that they're doing, and uh, I I definitely applaud them for it. And
0: Michael, what do you take?
2: Yeah, I mean, Atari 2600 was the console that I grew up on, and I grew up in the arcades. Um, It's funny, because Atari Quantum, the original, came out in 1982, and it is not one that I am familiar with. Of all the arcade games that I've played over the many, many years, um, it's, it's an obscure title that was... Um, not one, you know, I've heard of a lot of uh, similar ones that were released around that time. Um, Tempest, uh, I think Black Widow, Gravatar, um, even Atari Force Liberator were games that all were around that time period that I had played in the, if I hadn't played them in the arcade, I'd played them in emulation or I'd, I'd played them in some other era, some other time. Um, So, yeah, this is one that I'm going to have to check out the original on Um, and then obviously look into the re-release because I'm a big fan of what Atari has been doing with the Recharge series um, with, you know, kind of, you know, breathing new life into some of these older games. Um, But I think this is one of the more obscure titles, again, under an Atari name. I don't even remember this game being on the Atari 2600. I don't know if it ever was released for that or if I just missed it. Um, but I'll have to do some research on that, but, but all that is to say is, uh, it's, you know, Atari as a company that we used to know, doesn't exist anymore. It's been the name and the rights have been snapped up by various companies over the years, but I like that they're kind of going back to some of the roots, um, and taking, you know, bringing some of their, um, you know, titles that they still have ownership of and revitalizing them for, um, newer generations. Again, these are always fun games that are, you know, quick to jump in and jump out. They don't take a lot of time. Uh, they're very um, arcade inspired, so they're meant to be, you know, quick hitters that don't take up, you know, 40 hours of your day to get through them. So all in all, I think it's, yeah, these are always really cool things that I like to see um, released, and in particular on these titles that are, are ones that I'm not familiar with, um, to kind of, you know, go back and, and see what the what the hype is all about then, and, and see what the new release looks
0: like now. I think it's interesting because you remember a few weeks back we discussed that they've got the right to Berserk and all these various games, and they hadn't listed a full list, but there was, uh, I believe they said, about 26 games that they got the rights to. And it's interesting because I remember doing an interview recently, and I asked them specifically about some of the – little more obscure, but like Michael, I remember going to the arcade and playing a lot of these games, and some of the more obscure things like Kangaroo, and things like that. And I thought, we see all these collections where they build them as these ultimate Atari collections, and sure, you get the Centipede, and you get, uh, you know, Missile Command, and Combat, and all the things that we remember, but I sit there, and I look at it, and I go, well, there was, there was this one, and there was this one, and there was this one. And then you find out that they may not have the rights to several of those games. Cause like, for example, uh, you remember Battlezone? I definitely yeah, I
2: play it regularly to this yeah, day.
0: I've seen Red Baron on a couple of things, uh, but I haven't seen Battlezone. I would absolutely love to see. What what could you do? I mean, they were already dipping their toes with Pixel Rip. Let's see a battle zone in VR. I would ask actually there to... are battle zone exists in VR already. Oh, it came right. out A couple years ago. A newer one though. That would be that would be I think something really interesting. Um, who did Atari do that uh, VR one Michael or was it uh, another I don't company? remember.
2: I'll have, to, let me, I'll have to look. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, cuz I I know there have been similar tank style games, but you know there's part of me going do the old one in VR, but then also do a newer version and go from there. And then, you know, I, I would uh, combine it with Red Baron, which was essentially the similar concept because, you know, in the, that day and age, that was a pretty big thing. But th- there are so many games they could be doing. And, of course, you know, there, they, uh, there is a process. You can't just, you know, open the floodgates and do all of them. But it is interesting because we are seeing games from, um, you know, I I think we all have to sit there and say, is it time for Adventure to get a, a 2023 release? I mean.
2: So it looks like Battlezone was the launch title for the PSVR and it was done by PlayStation and Rebellion, but it is based on the original IP.
0: Okay. That would make sense then. But you, you remember Adventure, Michael. I mean, who didn't have a twenty six oh, yeah. have Adventure? It's another game I play regularly. Yeah, that's also another one I think that we definitely need uh, a new version of. And, you know, it's funny because if you remember the original Haunted House, it essentially was a variation on the original Adventure game. In fact, there were certain areas of the map where you go, boy, this looks very familiar. The only thing they did was change the lighting or... There was that one room that was very similar to the dark room that you had in Adventure where you find the key, and they did it a little differently, but um, you know, I I have to think that they definitely looked at some of those old ones and said there's uh, an update here. So moving on, let's go ahead and talk about DC. It's been no secret that the Flash has underperformed at the box office. We've heard all kinds of explanations from superhero fatigue to Uh, concerns about the lead performer in the film to uh, people coming out and saying to me you know, I just don't see the reason to go and get behind this because essentially they're erasing the whole DC Snyderverse, Cinematic Universe, call it what you will, they're rebooting it and so therefore these things like The Flash like this movie, like the pending Aquaman film are essentially all invalid because they're you know intending to move in a new direction. But as we've also discussed, we have all those standalone type films where they have um uh, they have the, you know their own Batman, they have a Joker film coming, and now we've heard El Godot has apparently said no, we've actually had some discussions recently about me returning in the role. So uh, who knows? but against all of this, it comes out that um, Peter Saffron and James Gunn, who are um, heading up the interconnected DC universe, uh, and it was many people believe that Superman Legacy, which was due in July of 2025, is going to be the first film of the new era with the animated creature commandos uh, coming before it. And now they're saying that the upcoming Blue Beetle film is actually part... Of this new uh, legacy. So, Michael, you start us off. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting. Uh, and you know, I think we've kind of talked, touched base on this a bit with the DC franchises. I, I think they're. I mean, I think superhero fatigue is a real thing. I do think, even with the newer Marvel movies, I think we're starting to see kind of a drop off. Um, you know, we talked about Ant-Man and Quantumania, how it didn't do. Um, as, as well at the box office as they had hoped, um, even though I thought that movie was actually pretty entertaining. Um, and I, And even with the flash, even with all the news that Michael Keaton um, was reprising his role as Batman, I think that drew in uh, an audience that had nostalgia for Michael Keaton in that role, um, which is probably, you know may not be the biggest um, group of people that are going to see movies these days. Uh, particularly if you're if you're talking at a, at a you know a, at an age group that is not necessarily um, you know those of us who are not necessarily going to be going out to the movies as frequently or going to save the money and, and go to movies that are uh, we think are going to do well and again the DC franchise you know we kind of talked about that in the past as well for me um, I, I've just been burned too many times that these are movies that I'm more than happy to wait three months until they come out to streaming. Uh, so I think it's going to take, um, it's going to take something really revolutionary to kind of turn that around. And maybe the new, um, with James Gunn and the, the, the direction the franchise is going to go with uh, Blue Beetle, maybe that is what it's going to need to get some positive buzz to kind of to right the ship, I guess, um, because I've always been a big fan of the DC characters, um, but we can only see so many, uh, even, even though like the Batman was a, was a great movie and a, good retelling. You know, we can only see so many new um, versions of Batman, and no many, so many new versions of the, you know, the existing DC universe was supposed to be the next MCU for the DC scale. Now they're scrapping all that, starting over with the DC universe. Um, and what I'd kind of like to see is them pull away from the whole universe perspective, and maybe just work on good films, or maybe have a good Good one-off film, you know, to start with, and then build a franchise around that. Um, you know, again, you can kind of build up to something without making it a big grandiose project. But I, I think, you know, until they do that, I think we're we're at a, kind of at a point where I think even the MCU at this point is starting to get a little stale with folks, and it's going to be, you know, I, unless you have really good movies like Spider-Man that draw draw, you know, people in. Um, I think it's I think it is a real thing where we're going to start to see things kind of taper off and maybe have another 10-year you know drought good good superhero movies before we come back around. But again, I think DC needs to step away from building a universe and work on building some good films and then maybe work that into a universe down the road. And Justin, your take, please.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, we've we've talked in the past about um, DC's troubles making their cinematic universe to work and i think the last time we spoke about it we were kind of all in agreement that one of the issues that they have right now is that it's it seems kind of like they don't really know the actual direction that they want to go they know that they have to reboot this thing that they have but they don't really it doesn't really seem like they have a very coherent strategy um you know and i i I definitely I, i think this is one of those situations where it's not monocausal so i there's there's many actual reasons why you know the flash didn't perform well um one of those ask one of those things i think is true is a super like michael said superhero fatigue is real i think it's not the only cause though there's many other situations that that went into this movie in particular you know there were issues with the main actor there was um issues with just the dc um cinematic universe in in general and i i think one of the other key problems that's going on right now in the the superhero genre is a reliance on gimmicks and and i don't i know that word it tends to be to have a negative connotation i don't mean it that way i think gimmicks can definitely be uh a good thing it can be it definitely could be successful um for example the um uh, no Way Home, uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home, um, relied very heavily on its uh, its use of of uh, cameos from the previous Spider-Man uh, actors. Now, if they didn't have those, if it wasn't a multiverse story that didn't have um, all of those cameos, it still very likely would have been a very successful movie. But it definitely catapulted to a huge 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 amount of uh, success and it remains an outlier um even among marvel films for like, lately late, lately marvel films um in terms of its level of success so i think its use of bringing those actors back as a big event kind of gimmick definitely worked for spider-man but just relying on that gimmick on its own i don't think is enough and i've spoken to a lot i haven't seen the, the flash myself but i've spoken to a lot of people who saw it and really that I, I i saw a common thread among a lot of them they said oh you know i went to go see it because of of michael keaton <laughs> i went to go see it uh just simply simply to see michael keaton's batman which it i think is the a, best
0: part of it i well,
1: yeah, but I think that's inherently a problem because if if that was really like the only driving force for the movie, you might as well just made a, a sequel to, um, uh, Batman Returns, and just brought Michael Keaton back and just you know, because to my understanding, he's not really in the movie all that much. It's not really about him. It's it's about the Flash. So, uh, that I think that's just a problem going forward. That's just not something they can rely on. They have to, you know, actually come up with good stories. Um, that stand on their own and uh, they can't really rely on just cameos from uh, from very popular
0: characters. Yeah, good point. Michael, did you have anything else you wanted to add on that? before I? Uh... No, nothing else on my end. Okay, so this is the way I look at it. Um, there were aspects of The Flash I thought were, that were done very well. There were issues that I definitely think could have been addressed. You can say that for any film. Uh, I do... Find that the Michael Keaton inclusion really took the film to another level, so that was definitely a huge, huge, um, uh, you know, calling point for me in it. I think the biggest problem, and this is where it gets really um, careful, you have to be so careful with this, is that go back to before James Gunn and Safran uh, tapped it. Let's go back to Justice League before the one that we got came out and I don't mean the Snyder Cut when they first announced it and then they shelved it and then they reorganized and came back to it we always heard about how DC would say we're going to do this, we're going to do this we're going to do this, we're going to do this and then the movie would come out and it would underperform you can even go back to Green Lantern and then everything gets blown up and then they reorganize and they start over. So we have Batman versus Superman, and this is going to lead into the Justice League, and this is, oh, and then this blows up, and you had this kind of reactionary thing. And we, we talked about, you know, it is kind of sad that a film like Batman versus Superman that made over $800 million was considered a financial disappointment because of the amount of uh, promotion they did for it. A lot of people said, though, well, they got to hit a billion to start making the money. The, you know, uh, Henry Cavill Superman films did well. Um, the first Wonder Woman film did well. Aquaman did well. So it looked like they were on their path and everything was going to be all set. And then Wonder Woman 84 came out and everything kind of started going off the train. And then Black Adam didn't do as well as they had hoped. Shazam, Fury of the Gods didn't do as well as they hoped. And, you know, even before that happened, one of the biggest criticisms they had was there is nobody at the helm. You could at least say, good or bad, Feige, and I, I it's I would say the success rate has been overwhelmingly clear, Feige and his hand on Marvel is working because he's able to say, you know, this is what we're doing, and if something underperforms, learn from it, move on, and go forward. You know, for example. Um, Ant-Man, underperformed, but uh, here we are, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, $831 million worldwide. It's getting ready to go on video on demand, if it hasn't already, uh, about to go on to uh, streaming. There absolutely no way this is not an unqualified runaway success for them, so that's there. But then we have to look at the Marvels that is coming next not seeing the same amount of hype for the Marvels that I am for some of the other event films. That's going to be one that they have their work cut out from. And, you know, we sit there and we look at it. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, $559 million. That's a runaway success. However, um, Raven the Hunter, I don't know if that's going to make the kind of money that they're kind of uh, looking at. Uh, switching gears from it, Elemental is only at like 121 million right now. Transformers is only at 341 million. Uh, Fast and Furious 10 is only at 689 million. So, it it seems like there has to be the big event film to get people back at the theater. This is what we saw last year. The problem is, it appears that perhaps. The theaters are putting too much content. Uh, You know, people last year showed that they were ready to come back to the movies if it is a big event movie worth seeing. And I think maybe the studios are giving us too much too soon for some people. We work in the industry. It's not an issue for us. But I I can honestly say there are some weeks where we sit there and we have three or four different press screenings uh, all within you know, a three to four day window. And I hear other critics saying, oh, you know, I'm tired. There's just too many movies and they're too long now. They're pushing three hours and so on and so forth. And maybe just maybe that's all part of it. I mean, we've got uh, we had it fairly easy this week because uh, I have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. That's it. But that's the big event film that's coming out. We'll see how well that does. But it is a very uh, interesting uh, situation where you look at some films and you go, oh, this is going to be a hit, and it's not. And you look at other films and you go, yeah, I'm not sure about this one, and it cleans up. So I think it's still, you know, going back to what we talked about last week where the industry analyst went over things and said, you know, we are probably not going to see full-on, Normal pre pandemic theatrical behavior until uh, about 2027, but uh, as early as 2025, he said, you know, the numbers are definitely skewing upwards again. It's just you have to take that bit right now where you're going to have some films do really well and some do bad. Whereas, you know, 2019, for the most part, you were not having too many costly misfires out there and of course that all leads to our other situation where they're going over streaming and trying very anxiously to uh you know make up for their losses uh this way so it'll be interesting well talk about breaking news this i, I had nothing to do with the writer i mean the actor strike but we just got an email in from zotac uh telling us that the brand new michael you'll probably be thrilled about this The brand new GeForce RTX 4060 8GB series powered cards uh, are apparently um, rolling onto the market. They basically have said this is going to have a compact and super compact design that will fit 99% of the PC cases. So the big argument about the four series cards being too large... uh, they're going to address that it is going to run on the ada love lace architecture with full ray tracing and firestorm 4.0 for 40 series so uh, let's see if we get a price point on this as well uh, they are not fully saying just a lot of comparisons so michael what do you uh, make of all this
2: well i think it's you know it's good that there's opportunities now for people to get cards and a lot of the scalping slash uh, mining um, stuff has kind of slowed down. So it's always good to have options, particularly if you're building in a small, like, ITX form factor case where current 40, 4th, you know, 4090s and 4080s wouldn't really fit very easily. So um, small form factor cards are always a good, good market to have.
0: Interesting. And, uh, Justin, do you have a take on that one at all?
1: No, I agree. It's good. You know, I I remember back when I was trying to get my current card, and I had to wait, I don't know, five months on a list to get a response. That was uh, crazy. The
0: one that we is this the one that we helped you get, or is this a different one?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I actually, so I was on a list just waiting on um a gigabytes list, and then um, oh. you helped me out. So thank you. Um, oh, but yeah. then several months later they res- gigabyte responded, uh, oh, you have a you know you're finally your your opportunity is here. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm just happy those days are over.
0: yeah, no kidding uh, you know it, it, and it's interesting because i I look at it and it's an impressive card, that's for sure, but you know there's that piece of me going, I'm quite happy with my thirty seventy RTX right now and I think i'm gonna sit tight on it for another year or two until, you know, essentially, I, I mean, Michael, you, you'd be a better person to answer this, but is there truly anything out right now, uh, you know, within reason, I'm not talking about 20 monitor displays where you set these things up to ridiculous levels, but is there truly anything right now where you could say, you know, for your average gamer, you absolutely need to have this four series over a three series uh, to enjoy the game. So I think that's, that's a kind of a loaded question, because
2: it depends on what you're looking for. If you're running in 1080p or 1440p, then no, uh, 30, a 30 series card is going to be fine. If you're running in 4K, there's a lo- big advantage to going to four, um, the 4000 4, series, um, particularly if you want to run high frame rates in 4K. Um, that's, you know, or if you're looking to run something with um, ray tracing, um, the fourth, the fourth gen, you know, 4000 series cards were a pretty big improvement from a ray tracing perspective. But again, if you're running 1080p or 1440, no, I'm running 4K and I'm, I'm driving a 4090. So for me, it, it was well worth it because it was a pretty significant boost over my 3090. But again, if you're not running 4K, then it's probably not really necessary for those who are currently in the market for something. Um, and again at this point, um, the good thing now is the price points have come down. A lot of uh, cars are cutting their prices. You can get a you know, a forty ninety or a, a forty eighty T I, you know, at a much much cheaper price point than you could have, you know, six months, eight months ago. Um, so um, there's obviously there's that incentive to do that, but if you're willing to wait, you know, it won't be long before the five thousand series cards are coming out, probably September time frame or, or late Late this year, um, when we'll see some announcements there, so so probably not. But again, it all depends on what you want to do, what your what your goal is. If you're, again, if you're not running 4K, then you're probably okay with uh, a 3 uh, 3000 series card.
0: Yep, it sounds like it. So, you know, that's the thing. I, I I touch 4K on a few games and stuff like that. So it just all depends. But. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is that there's plenty of games that support 4K, but um, they often come with some trade-offs. And I definitely, you know, let's, let's put it this way. I, the Jedi Survivor, Diablo, Call of Duty, all of those are looking fantastic. I haven't had any issues with anything yet. And, you know, you're right. Uh, the time to jump. I, I tell people it's like cell phones best time to jump on your cell phone is when they go out and they put the brand new one on the market because then they have all the prior models sitting there at the warehouse and that's when you can kind of cut your deal and say, hey, you know, uh, I don't need the brand new one because that's what they push to get all the new subscribers. Let me have the prior generation because as we've all found out, uh, there's often not a gigantic uh, difference between Uh, some of the generations on the phones. That's why I always skip, you know, two or three generations between them uh, and then go from there. So a lot of interesting stuff, though. We'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Folks, that is going to do it for us tonight. I hope that you have a very safe week ahead, and I hope that everything in your life is going well. And be safe. We'll talk to you soon.